Let's have a word of prayer and we'll read our text. Father, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You have drawn us together this day to worship in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I pray that we have ears to hear souls that are receptive to what You say here. Father, in this day, in this age, at this time, You have placed us and yet Your instructions seem louder than maybe any time before. Father, we who are called by Your name, let us drink deep of what You do to Your glory and to Your praise. In Christ's name, Amen. Beginning in verse 15, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, and how they were the first fruits of Achaia, and how they devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. You also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunaeus, and Achaeus, because they have supplied what is lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca, greet you heartily in the Lord and the church that is in their house. All of the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. And the greeting is of my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and my love be with you in all in Christ Jesus. Amen. What we're looking at is love and fellowship. This church in Corinth had a hard time with this. It is bracketed by verse 14 and verse 24. Let all that you do be done in love, and my love be with you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So you have this text between this. And he is closing this love letter, 1 Corinthians. It's a love letter. He's closing it with his love and that all that you do should be done in love. And we're just kind of going through this and we are looking at love in the fellowship. And what does it look like if the fellowship is bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ? then it has to have love. And we looked at it. The first thing we looked at was evangelism. The first fruits of a guarantee, the household of Stephanus. And this is a church that is marked by love. A church that is marked by love is active in planting the seed and harvesting the harvest of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No church can claim to have love no church can claim to manifest love and to know the experience of the love of God that has been poured into our hearts unless the love is extended to those without Christ. Okay? It is not our responsibility to reap a harvest. It is our responsibility to sow a seed. I hear people and they'll use the, four par the parable of the four soils. And, and you're missing it. We sow. What happens to that seed and to that heart is purely into the hands of an awesome God. And yet, we think that we are supposed to do this. Have you ever thought about this? We, we throw it out. It's called, I call it my football verse. Okay, the guy holds up the John 3.16 sign when they're kicking the field goal or the extra point. Okay, that's my football verse. Um, God so loved... That he gave. Do you understand that? 
We claim that we love, but I ask, do we give? The second thing that marks love in the fellowship of Christ and the church is they are devoted. They are devoted. They are devoted to the ministry of the saints. The ministry of the saints falls into giving, giving gifts. It is giving of food, the, the, the common stuff, giving of the word. And this household of Stephanus, who were the first fruits of a great harvest, devoted themselves. And we looked at the word devoted, and it literally means addicted to the work of the Lord. The household, of, it's a funny word because if the household of Stephanus weren't doing the Lord's work, they would go into withdrawals. That's a fascinating thought. See, it's, it's that, you know, I was going back through this and, you know, once you're cruising through a text, all of a sudden you start getting uh, where the alliterations, you know, love shares, love serves. And the third thing is love submits. I know it ain't what your outline is, but hey, <laughs> I never claim to have any wisdom. I'm just cruising. Okay. Because see, when you see these people who are addicted to the work of the Lord, then we should submit to those who are addicted. And we come underneath them. And, and literally that term there is a hyper addiction. I'm a hyper addicted to following the pattern that has been set before me by these people who are addicted to doing the Lord's work. Because then you will move into this companionship that is refreshing in verses 17 and 18. We looked at this. There, there's an openness. There's a warmth of love that is there and it results in the refreshing of the spirits of those who are laboring. See, you... And I wonder about this at times. I don't spend a lot of time wondering about it because I'm thinking it might not have a benefit to it. But how many in the body of Christ can't wait till Sunday? They run to that place because they are so refreshed by that gathering of people. See, their spirit is refreshed. If there's love in the church, this will happen. Okay. Which brings me to the end of verse 18. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Okay. Because they refresh your spirit, you should acknowledge them. See, the therefore takes us backwards. Those people who are evangelistic and they are the first fruits of a harvest, they serve and they are addicted to serving of the Lord and the Lord's people. They are addicted to that. Therefore, you should acknowledge them. Um, and, and I used here in your outline a respect. See, I run out of S words. I'm, I'm only good for four. But you're going to... Do we give those who labor for the Lord recognition? The word literally means to highly value, to rightly evaluate. Do we highly value these who are evangelistic, these who are serving, these who are in submission, these who are refreshing to our spirit? See, there's nothing wrong 
with recognition in the church as long as the recognition of those in the church is based on the fact that they evangelize, that they serve, they are submitted, and they are companion that cause refreshing in the body of Christ. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging them. Not only that, the term here literally means to respect them. It's a fascinating thought, isn't it? We are to acknowledge... We are to recognize. Listen, this doesn't have in mind that, that they get the saint of the month parking spot. This is not what I'm talking about here. It doesn't mean we line them up and give them a placard. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, I, re- I remember at one time, remember when we had our pews at the old building and we had little badges on the side this was donated by such and such in memory of such and such and all the rest of it um that's not what this text is saying okay and and, you know and, and i can say that safely because when i was going around saying do you know who these people are nobody knew (laughs) oh okay There is a sense of respect. You treat them with a sense of respect. It's not because of their money. It's not because of their prestige. It's not because of their position. It's not because of their jobs. It's not because of their family. It's not because of any human thing. But if they have been hyper addicted to the work of the Lord, evangelism, and they are setting a pace, For the body of Christ, they are worthy of our respect. The Corinthians were not really respectful. Uh, In in chapter 1, if I can bring back to your attention, there were divisions in the church. There were schisms in the church because you had these groups who thought they were more than worthy. These people, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of whatever. In chapter 4, 18 and 19, they were not even respectful of the Apostle Paul. And it was he who brought the good news that even laid the foundation for that group in Corinth. And they were saying, well, you know, we've passed Paul in theology and in works. He won't even come back and see us anymore. Chapter 9, he had to defend his apostleship. Am I not worthy, he said? Am I not called an apostle to the Gentiles? Four times in this letter, he tells the Corinthians, you're puffed up. See, one of the things that I've learned about people who are puffed up, they don't respect anybody. So this church was having some problems. And here in verse 18 of chapter 16, he says, acknowledge these ones. If there's love in the fellowship, you will acknowledge them. You will respect them. See, God has a plan for the church. Okay. And listen, it is so basic. I mean, and the pattern is not complicated. Godly people... In the body of Christ, rise to the top. And by virtue of their godliness, everyone else should rush in to get underneath them and learn how to live their lives. It's like uh, Timothy to Paul. 
or Titus to Timothy and Paul or Silas. Why? They seen a man of God. They seen the pattern of their life and they wanted to be underneath that. Today, we have the wrong models. Way too many wrong models. It is based on power. It is based on their speaking ability. It is based on their positions. It is based on money. We literally believe today a successful church is a church with money. How arrogant is that? I know two pastors right now, and I will not mention their names, but I know two pastors right now who are well published. Okay? They've produced a lot of material, a lot of books. And one pastor says, I am so humble that I will not take my salary from the church. I will take my salary from the publishers. I know another pastor who says, I will only take my salary from the church. And I will not take a dime from my publications. Which one do you suppose is making better living? Interesting concept, isn't it? Both of them people think are successful. One I believe is. When the church allows respect for those who have earned it, by the godliness of their lives, then the right people will be the pattern. And everybody else desires to get in line with that. They will submit to that. They will respect that. It's amazing. I have some verses I want you to think about with me because I kind of kind of went rabbit hunting. One is a person that you know of. We've already looked at him. It comes out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 29. Philippians 2, verse 29. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of Epaphroditus. He's speaking of Epaphroditus. See, Paul tells you in this text, um, verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, who also is a messenger and minister to my needs, because he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, not on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Okay, what you find out, Epaphroditus labored. He toiled. He was diligent. Okay, and he says, when he gets there, I want you to hold him up high. He was near death, it says. And it's an amazing term in the Greek. He was near death. It literally, the Greek text of this says, he rolled the dice with his life. That's what it says. He was near death. He gambled with his life for the things of Christ. It's a fascinating understanding, isn't it? And he says, when he gets there, I want you to respect him. Why? Because he was there for the work of Christ and he gambled his life. For the work of Christ. 
You know that I was doing a little research on the early church and you find out there were many who did this and they were called the gamblers. They were called, they actually had a term for them called the riskers. They risked their lives for the things of Christ. Hmm. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? People who would roll the dice with their lives for the cause of Christ. Oh, by the way, we are to respect those people. We are to acknowledge those people. We are to pay attention to those people. When you find somebody who is willing to give his life for the work of Christ, they set a godly pattern. And they let you see how Christ should be lived in your life. When you find those, these people who are faithful to the Word, who stress over the Word, who pour themselves over the Word, who throw their lives away for the things of Christ and the Word of God, we need to line up underneath them. We need to honor them. We need to honor that person and submit our lives to that pattern. Where the church begins to do that, it will be then and it will begin to fulfill its obligation of becoming the body of Christ, the representative of Christ. And let me tell you something, not until then. The things that I see in the body of Christ today do not do this. And it is not a a manifestation of the person of Christ to a lost and dying world. It is a manifestation of a system, of a methodology, of a business. Too many today in the church look at the church as an organization. They base it on wealth, the smartest They base it on position. And you know what? I look at the bride of Christ today in the United States and I see her in trouble. The body is to be led by those who have a heart and a soul to set examples to function as Christ functioned. They are evangelistic. They are addicted to serving Christ and the ministry and the saints. They are submitted to one another in the love of Christ. They have companionship that is refreshing to everyone who comes into their path. And those people, when you find them, you should respect them. Then Christ is manifest in the world. It isn't done through carnivals. It isn't done through any of the stuff that I've seen thrown out here today. We all have these plans, these great plans, and all it is is worldliness. There isn't godliness. If you'll see again in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, the elders who rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. They are worth what? Double honor. They're worthy of double honor, those who labor. When you find someone who works at it, who labors at it, who gives themselves to the Word, who gives themselves to doctrine, who rule well, You have every reason 
to double honor that person. Lift them up. God is not against that. God is not against double honor of those who labor in the Word. And you know, when people will say, well, what about humility? Yes. Yes, humility. That is the personal side. That is the personal attitude of that individual to God. That's why they are addicted to serving the saints. That's why they are addicted to the things of God. Why? Because they know that it's absolute humility that they even got the privilege to be a part of it. And they will set a pattern. If the church, in the church, if we, we, we need to have every reason and we have every right to set up patterns of those who are godly. In fact, the humble should be the pattern. And they are worthy of double honor. Hmm. Ones we should follow after. You see it again in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve. First Thessalonians five. It's back to the left a little bit. One of my favorites text. We crest of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Verse 13 says that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of their work. And, and, and I, I like that because it literally word, the word there, appreciate those who diligently labor. It literally means that you get to know them. That's a fascinating term. Don't you think that's a fascinating term? Do you know the spiritual leaders? That are among you. Those who labor. And labor literally means, it's a veterinary term that a horse muscle was stretched out to the point of doing damage to it. Those are the ones. Do you know those who labor? See, and it is your responsibility to know them. Why? So you can see their lives. And pattern your life in submission to their lives. Do you see their lives? Do you see that pattern of life? Do you follow those who labor? Do you follow those who toil in the things of God? They have, they're over you. They admonish. They call for obedience to Christ. And that you esteem them very highly in love. Because of their work. Do you have that respect? Do you know the ones in the body of Christ right now who labor and toil? See, it's, it's funny because he doesn't say those who are articulate in their speaking. He says, what about those who labor in the word? What happened in the church to somebody who is in a place of leadership and response is not respect. I've seen this. Oh, gee. I see jealousy toward those who are in leadership. I have seen power struggles. I've seen criticism. And you know what? I am convinced that there is absolutely no place in the body of Christ for such people. 
who are critical. You know what? I remember in our leadership class where people got mad at me. I says, I will not receive an accusation against an elder in this church if there are not two witnesses. And I'm talking eyeball witnesses. Well, what if I said, you didn't hear the text. You do not receive a charge against an elder unless there are two witnesses. But what if... The text says you do not receive a charge against an elder unless there are two eyewitnesses. Why? Because they will labor to get to that position and God has placed them in that position, which makes them a target. And people will criticize over the silliest, silliest things. It's not rank, it's not economics, it's not education, it is their work that they do. And there's no place for that. The church is simply designed for godly to be at the top, rule and teach and admonish, and everyone else comes underneath in submission. Do people correct it? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why you don't lay hands on them quickly. Watch them walk. Do they have a pattern? You respect them. Submit to them. In Hebrews chapter 13. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct and do what? Imitate their faith. Mimic their faith. Mimic them. Fascinating, isn't it? When you see a person whose life is that of evangelism, whose life is addicted to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, then there needs to be submission. Why? Because you'll find them submitted. And their companionship will refresh you. And when you find them and those people who do that, then it is your responsibility to respect them and to bring praise unto them. James chapter 3 first verse 1 says, Stop being so many teachers. Why? Theirs is a harsher judgment. They don't need your help. <laughs> I, I've run into this in the past. People seem to think that they know how the leadership should be. And therefore, let me tell you. Do you respect those who labor in the word? Do you respect those who labor in service to the Lord? In our text back in First Thessalonians chapter 5. He says. They are worthy of double honor. Double honor. Why? Well, in the Greek language, you will find you esteem them very highly, he says. Esteem them very highly. All right? And, and it's amazing because in the Greek language, if it has one prefix, then it compounds the intensity. You know what's weird about this one? It has two prefixes. You know what that means, right? Twice as much. 
twice as much. It's like super abundantly overflowing esteem them. That's how I would have translated it. Linsky said it means they are due an ocean of respect. That's fascinating understanding, isn't it? I find this in a little letter, and it's done in a contrast. Because I think this will help us. Um, Third John, (laughs) a little letter. It's just before the letter of Jude, which is just before Revelation. Third John, he gives a contrast here. And and, and it's fascinating. This is the, the Apostle John. This is the one who had his head laying on the chest of Christ at the Last Supper. Okay? This is the John that Jesus hanging on a cross said, Take care of my mother. That John. Okay, he writes this letter, 3 John. Verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrees, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we said. (laughs) This guy, I call it the two D's. You'll see the other one here in a minute. Diotrees says, you know what? It's just a letter from John. Hmm. This John wrote you a letter and he doesn't want to hear anything about it. Why? Because he likes to be in the place of preeminence. And you know what? That happens in the church. I have talked to people and have told them that I've had such and such coming to speak. And they said, well, why would you have a better preacher come and speak in your church? Doesn't that make you nervous? No. We need to get a whole bunch of better preachers <laughs> and speak in this church. As many as I can get, I will bring and have them speak in this church. Well, but what if your church all of a sudden starts saying, well, these guys are better than you? Then, let me tell you something. If my church doesn't know there's a whole bunch better than me, there's something wrong. <laughs> But there are times that people will feel a threat. Evidently, this is part of what this guy's. He does not accept what we say. For this reason, when I come, verse 10 says, when I come, I will call attention to his deeds. (laughs) Wow. Which he does. Unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so, and he puts them out of the church. He does not hear the godly brothers. He does not hear the godly ones. He does not want no part of them around. Why? A godly person doesn't tend to want the place of preeminence. I have had the privilege of being around some of the greatest expositors that the world has ever seen outside of the Apostle Paul. And one of the things that I have run into and is amazing to me is that they are all extraordinarily humble. I remember being asked, I had gone out to the Shepherds Conference and there's this little barbecue place. 
Okay, got great barbecue, man. It's over by the Van Nuys Airport. Um, anyway, we, I got a call from Dr. Provost of Slavic Gospel Association, and he says, can you meet me for some barbecue? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah. So I go strolling in there, and here I go around the corner to the little maitre d' lady, and I go around the corner, and there sits John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and Bob Provost, and here I come waltzing in. And you know what was amazing about our conversation that night? Well, there's multiple things. I, I love the fact that these tremendous men of God get barbecue sauce in the corners of their mouth like us poor lame people. I think that's yeah, totally awesome. And they have to lick their fingers off too. <laughs> that just thrilled me. But anyway, they were more concerned about what we were doing at Castle Rock Baptist Church than what was going on in their churches. That's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. But he says, you know, here, they forbid some who desire to do and they put them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil is not. Do you see that? That's amazing. He says, you know what? Follow the pattern. Follow the right pattern. If you've got people who are wanting a place of preeminence, what is that? Don't follow those people. Then he says, this is where I got the two D's. <laughs> Second D, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony. You know what our testimony is true. Okay, follow him. Basically is what John is telling us. Watch for evil. Watch for those people who love importance, have no respect for other men of God, that they do it all based on themselves. But here, follow Demetrius. Realize God's standard for the church. The congregation submits to that leadership and you'll have those who do and those who don't. And you know what? I can tell you all kinds of people who do not respect the leadership of the church. Okay, I've watched people who literally come and tell the leadership, this is what we are going to do, and they take off and they do it. Then why did you ever say you would want to submit to the leadership of this church? Just a question. Because you know what? I have learned the hard way is you seek counsel before you make decisions. And you seek the counsel of godly men that God has placed in the church. And they're there. God wants the people in the church, in his church, to be respectful and submissive to those who are over them. Those that God has placed who have the right to rule because of their walks, because they've earned it by the spiritual character. And that's the way the church is to work. That's the way the church is to operate. 
Godly leaders admonish and teach and they set the pace for the race that is before us. And it is our responsibility to find them, know them, slide up underneath them. And then it is our responsibility to respect and honor and to esteem them highly. Lift them highly. You don't want the responsibility of leading the body of Christ. I guarantee it. If you're not ready for it, don't ask for it. From a personal perspective, as I have been an elder in this church for a number of years now, I can tell you that the joys of leadership are great. They are among some of the, the most glorious things I've ever experienced in my life. But I can tell you this, that the sorrows are infinitely more agonizing than anything I would have ever wished on anybody. See, let God lead. If you think you're being called to leadership or to set a pattern, um, then you'll know because you'll set yourself to follow someone who is already walking godly. Remember the Apostle Paul in this letter, he said to the Corinthians, be a follower of me as I am of Christ. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. They are easy to spot. Those who are addicted to the service of the saints because there aren't that many. And it is our responsibility to find them and to come up underneath it and submit and to pattern our lives after the task that they have set themselves to. You watch them, you see them, they set a pattern. They are at that of godliness. They labor at the word. They strain at understanding scripture and knowing scripture and allowing scripture to master them. Those are easy to spot. You know why? Because if you allow scripture to master you, you got nothing to do but to be humble. And in our society today, humility is an oddity. It stands out like the proverbial sore thumb. Why? There's just not that many humble people. Oh, you don't understand. I have a, uh, uh, have no confidence in myself. Perfect. <laughs> That's where you need to be. Therefore, you then you allow God to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could think or imagine in Christ. It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting concept. So when we think about love and the fellowship, we know that the fellowship will have evangelism. We know that it will have people who are addicted to serving Christ and the saints in the ministry. And there will be submission of those who will be rushing in to fill the voids, to come up underneath those who have already set a pace. And there will be companionship in such a way that it is refreshing to all those who are around them. And then you will see those and you will bring respect to them interesting concept in our society today most people are critical of the church and the church leadership 
I just want to, well, he, he doesn't talk well. He doesn't illiterate. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. You know what? What does their lives say? And if you find someone who is doing this, then let us respect them. And let us pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Apostle Paul setting a pattern before each of us. And Father, I thank You for those godly people that You have put in our lives, Lord, that are addicted to serving You, bearing fruit and reaping a harvest. Thank You, Father. Thank You that You have drawn us together this day to Your glory and to Your praise. And I just thank You that You have preserved Your church, preserved Your saints, and Father, that we can walk in a manner worthy of this great calling. Thank You, Lord, to Your glory and to Your praise in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.